Welcome back to another episode of Investing 404, uh, the podcast by your favorite two amateur investors. Uh, today, we've got a special episode lined up, haven't we, Chris? Yeah, exactly. Uh, today, Uber. If you're like us and you've used Uber on a weekly basis, you would think this is one of the best companies to invest in. Surely, right, Goff? We use it that much. Yeah, and you've got that like uh, age-old saying, right? You want to invest in stuff that you use rather than invest stuff that you don't know anything about. Yeah, and... After the crash, I immediately looked at Uber and I was thinking, hang on, I have to get into this company. And then a bit of more research showed a few things that maybe weren't as perfect as expected. Uh, so let's let's get into it, eh? Uh, let's, let's start. Yeah, go for it, Chris. Uh, get, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows who Uber is, but uh, I mean, go for it. Right. Uber, pretty much two main business segments, and we'll get to those in a second in more detail. But number one, taxis or transportation and number two is uber eats delivering food to your house restaurant quality food essentially or you hope it would be right <laughs> I, 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 I love that little hope you would be chris because uh, uh some bad experiences and they're also launching a third segment on freights but um yeah i mean it's so so tiny it's not worth getting into right now yeah exactly Founded in 2009, sitting in San Francisco, like most startup-y type uh, companies, tech companies, a workforce of more than 26,000 people, which I guess would count all the taxi drivers that are really not directly employed by Uber, but they are contractors. Um, so it's interesting that they put that into their statistics. Operating in more than 69 countries and more than 10,000 cities. That's crazy, eh? The scale. More than 10,000 cities worldwide. Yeah, and it really helps, right? Because when you're traveling or you get a lot of that repeat customer uh, base everywhere. Um, and let's say I go to India. I'm very happy using Uber in India because I've been using it here, right, in the UK. So Yeah, the, the, the sheer scalability of this business is immense, right? It's just unbelievable. But but let's get into it, Gov. Uh, financials. Uh, give us give us the lowdown. What's happening uh, behind the scenes? Uber's one of the companies that, if I explained it to, let's say, my granddad, he would say this company needs to just get chucked out and binned. Right? <laughs> uh, we got a company here making it's like a serial loss maker. Um, it, if we talk pure numbers, um, they make about in twenty twenty made eleven point uh, one billion dollars of revenue. Uh, with around six and a half billion of net loss. I mean, <laughs> it, it just put that into scale. <laughs> we talk about profit margin, we talk about general margin of your business and so on. And Uber, to be fair, should have really strong margin uh, on their activity. I think on the mobility side, it's, it's around 30% uh, profitability, profitability margin. But it's unbelievable the losses they're incurring. It's just off the chain is a chain i don't even know <laughs> off the charts yeah, yeah i don't know <laughs> it's uh, immense anyway yeah and 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 it's consistent right so the year before that also there's a significant loss same i mean it was even bigger i think the 2019 even though they had a higher spike in revenue uh, and so they've been making consistent losses year on year uh, uh even though there's been so much revenue pumped in there's been so much uh, hype around Uber. There's been a huge customer base uh, and so on. And we'll get into some of those things. Um, yeah, and with all of that, with all the investment um, going in, right? I mean, you take 
Uber's share price, Uber share price in say November 2019, say 25 bucks in March, uh, it was down to 21 bucks. And now it's up to almost 60. In uh, seeing that meteoric rise when the company just isn't profitable and it just show, and it shows that people don't actually care about what's profitable or not profitable right when we went through uh in preparation research for this episode i went through the whole like investor relations deck uh 60 odd slides and so much of it is on addressable market because they don't actually have the numbers so much of it is like oh yeah we have a five trillion dollar uh, addressable market of people that we could go and sell this after and so on uh when you know, you're not there yet. So why are we showing the potential? <laughs> uh, you know, if you have the numbers, you would show the numbers and they don't. So they have to focus on a decimal market. Um, but having said all of that, uh, and I know, Chris, you're going to touch on SoftBank and so on, but um, they do have a, a profitability target by the end of 2021, which is really interesting. Uh, and they're putting it towards a proactive cost management and divestitures and like ongoing mobility recovery, which obviously suffered severely last year with COVID. Uh, but it really interesting, the long-term target, and again, long-term, I'm not very clear on the timescale of that, but the long-term target of 25% uh, EBITDA percent of revenue. So really, really interesting. In fairness, uh, Uber Uber's target wasn't around making profits. And this is a great excuse by most companies now, that Amazon model of just growth 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 doesn't matter how much losses they're they're driving so in fairness they used all that money to just grow all those 10 pound vouchers you get all that 50 percent off that you get per email which gov and i get on a on a daily basis it seems uber eats is just bombarding you with vouchers right now um, and that's purely for growth um, they're trying to hit delivery just eat wherever they can they're trying to get to that main position in every single market they're in and you might think, how is it possible that a company is making losses of six, seven billion every single year is still around? And it all comes back to SoftBank. And if you're not sure what SoftBank is, maybe Gov and I will make a full episode about it one day. SoftBank is essentially a Japanese company run by Mayoshi's son. And uh, it's a really interesting story, actually. He then went to the Middle East, to the Prince of Saudi Arabia and other really, really wealthy people in this world and said, I want to create the biggest fund that exists in the world. Um, I think they grew it up to $50 billion. And they just want to create the biggest fund so any company they are behind, like Uber, like WeWork, just have pretty much unlimited money available to just grow to be one of the biggest in their space. Their main mission was to just steamroll the competition by providing ridiculous funds. So you can imagine Uber was a startup and they were just given billions, billions. We're not talking millions here where they can just spend, you know, on new drivers, new systems, all that stuff. They were given billions. So they were given so much money, they didn't even have to worry about efficiency. They didn't have to worry about money for the next year. They just spent purely 100% on growth. And that's yeah. that whole SoftBank model. And that's why WeWork got really in trouble because their company just became so inefficient. But it also shows any company that was not associated to SoftBank was really struggling to compete. That's my two cents on SoftBank. I just wanted to you know, give some background as to why a company can really make this much losses <laughs> yeah uh, it makes sense chris and you can see that with the revenue growth right they've had obviously 
strong revenue growth. But in terms of Uber's own valuation, purely financially, the valuation is pretty horrid because they don't have EBITDA growth. There is no sense of free cash flow because, well, they don't have any. Uh, and debt to, debt to EBITDA ratios aren't strong. And the pricing range isn't strong either. So, like, kind of all the uh, kind of numerical metrics that you could use to value the company basically most of them would give you a, a viewpoint of it being a really poor valuation for the company itself uh having said all that though let's go into kind of first of all wait, first of all chris did you see there's a is there a big difference in your eyes between the mobility market and the the delivery market yeah what uber's done here is, is really great because they went into a market utilizing their existing infrastructure like, like a vertical integration i think that's the technical term anyway vertical integration into another market that also has similar strengths to what they know so they could use the same app they could use the same drivers um it was just super smart so Goff, let's let's do mobility right because it's actually really impressive in north america and europe um uber has a market share of more than 65 percent in the countries they are allowed that's incredible, right? A company has just come in and taken 65% market share in the countries they are allowed, obviously, because in Germany they are not really allowed to operate. 65%. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. It's like basically the undisputed like global leader of this type of thing, right? Uh, in terms of like uh, bookings as well, uh, bookings as well, you've seen some incredible growth really uh, over time obviously you know last year was a big hit with c corona but um there's a wonderful chart talking about how um the new york as an example trips changed and how uh uber itself got impacted so hard because of it uh, so really interesting uh, definitely check that out uh, but yeah, in terms of overall, your point, Chris, uh, yeah, exactly. It's a very, very strong, undisputed sort of global leader of travel, right? And to even go further, right, this is the the best possible business model right now. The, 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 Uber is one of the purest platform models there is because Uber doesn't own any of the drivers, nor do they own the restaurants, nor do they own um, the cars, right? It's just pure platform. So they provide this app. Restaurants can download the app. Drivers can download it. And us as consumers can download it. And Uber is just connecting both sides. There's very little risk for them in general. They're just the middleman and great margins in theory. Right? Yeah. The, the problem has been um, there's been a lot of bad PR. And in reality, it's just uh, honest reporting on the lifestyles that it pushes the drivers to uh, and you know it's so bad that in 2019 they spent like 300 million dollars uh to try and combat it right combat uh, and we've had it come up recently as well with uh workers uh, drivers trying to become create their own unions and so on so it's it, the 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 whilst uh, chris's point on it being a completely platform-based model is so true and it's pure platform the actual employees really do get hit hard by it, right? And you'd even see, I'm sure you'd have also seen articles, Chris, where they kind of paint it as modern day slavery in the sense that you're just getting paid absolutely nothing 
for the hours and hours uh, in a constrained like car, right? That you don't own either. So, because most of the drivers don't own the cars, most of the drivers borrow cars, and, and essentially don't make enough money to sustain a, a full fledged living from it. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. Kind of the the lead up and the eventual rollout of this. Um, but let's talk the business model itself, Chris. That so essentially uh, the business model again. If you've not used Uber, right? It's just a app. Uh, it's actually the most downloaded app uh, in the App Store, even in 2020. Yeah, so it's the number one. It's with around 95 million people now have uh, the Uber app, and 92 million have the Uber Eats app. So incredible downloads, um, and it's basically the most downloaded travel app. Like I said, so. And through the app, you essentially hail a cab. So none of those stresses that we used to have in terms of like standing outside in a taxi rank and hailing a cab. And that a simple business model allows for a lot of innovation, right? So nowadays we have in uh, London, as an example, if you're in zone one, you can hail a green uh, Uber ride, which is essentially like completely eco-friendly Uber ride. You can get a Uber bike, you can get Uber boats, you can get so many different methods because the simplicity of the business model uh, is what sets it apart right tuk-tuks as well i've seen they operate tuk-tuks in many cities yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which i really like the idea but as you, as you say it's just transformed that problem consumers had of i need to go to the airport so i need to call my local taxi provider can you please be here at 10 um or can you please be here in 15 minutes and what would they say yeah we'll be there and you wait 15 minutes and it might not be there. You, you just know, have no idea what's going on. Whereas in the app, it's very transparent how many drivers are around, how quickly can, they can arrive. Um, it just solves right. and, a pain point. Uh, yeah, and like imagine just the idea of like being in a restaurant and you finished your meal. The last thing I want to do is to walk around for 20 minutes to try and find a cab. You know, whereas I can just, whilst paying for the bill, buy, get the Uber, and by the time I pay the bill, the Uber's outside. I mean, the convenience factor for consumers is massive, right? And and I, I think that that's the best way to describe Uber, right? Just convenience. Number one, taxis. And number two, the second segment we're going to discuss, and that's food delivery, right? Because before Uber Eats was around, or let's say Deliveroo or Just Eat uh, really got into the space, um, you just had to go to your local chip shop, drive there, uh, pick something up, and then drive home. And there's even restaurants that were just never available for delivery. I remember in our days. Um, in and, our <laughs> days? You just mean when we were at uni, yeah? In our uni days, sorry. <laughs> in our uni days, uh, there was just no way to get restaurant delivery. It just didn't exist back then. And and even even if things that were there, it was really poorly done to be fair so using that platform to pivot across into delivery makes us so much sense right and in terms of delivery the growth and in that run rate of gross bookings is incredible uh the growth they've had uh kind of massively overtaking stuff like just eat you mentioned deliveroo um and grubhub doordash in the u.s uh it, it's gone through the roof right and in 2020 for example you mentioned this earlier chris uh delivery beat their mobility market 
right? Because people weren't using the cars and delivery uh, in November 2020, it's like $40 billion worth altogether, right? So right now it's probably worth a ton for Hoover. And, and just that great diversification you've seen in Corona times where no one was getting taxis, obviously, but now that second segment has just picked up any of that shortfall, that, that food delivery. Uh, but as, as we've seen, the revenue is still growing well, but they're making a ton of losses. <laughs> uh, the, the only uh, downside, I guess, on the delivery side is their profitability is a lot worse, right? So the margin that they make on it is much worse because essentially you're paying only for that delivery portion and that delivery portion is then split within the the, the person delivering your food. So the margin on the deals aren't isn't very high in comparison to the mobility market because you're just making a, a, a base rate to the driver and making everything on top uh, is, is, is free, right? So uh, yeah, it's just, I thought it's important to state that now, Chris. Yeah, good point. Um, but let's let's uh, also have a look at some of these other segments because um, Uber quite famously um, lost out in some markets. So China, they didn't do well, Russia, Middle East. But what they have done is joint ventures and bought into some of those companies before they left that market. So uh, Yandet, I think, in Russia, they own a portion of that. Didi in China, they own a portion of that. And it's a similar business model, just an app, and you you order taxis and, from that. And, and, and these percentages, like, these are pretty big companies, right? Owning 35% of Yandex or, like, 16% of Grab, like, that's still quite a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, Zomato in India, Zomato is massive in India, and they own 10%. Uh, Lime in the UK does, like, you know, you get your free electric scooters and cycles and so on. They own, like, 23% of it, which is just nuts, like, the size uh, of a stake they have in some of these companies, right? 100%. And I think some of that uh, market cap, and I, I don't think if we even said it, uh, Uber's market cap now is $100 billion. Um, Clearly, making 11 billion revenue and about 8 billion losses doesn't justify 103 billion market cap. But some of that ownership in other companies that they have clearly justifies a portion of that market cap, 100%. Yeah, so so in addition to the ones we've mentioned, they also have invested in sort of advanced technologies. If you will, Aurora, which is kind of autonomous vehicle technology, and then you also have Joby, Joby, again, Chris has mentioned it many times. You, if you join this podcast, it's not for a pronunciation of things. <laughs> but uh, Joby does essentially, it's a developer of the fully electrical vehicle takeoff and landing, like Evo, EV toll passengers. Uh, again, pronunciation's very strong on the channel. <laughs> and that makes it so interesting because Uber has been investing about 800 million a year into that autonomous driving and it's kind of their future vision. Their future vision is actually to take the human element out of it. So they, in their future, just envisage um, robots delivering your food or autonomous cars picking you up and driving you to the airport or wherever else you need to go. Um, so they have staked a huge portion of their investment every single year into this autonomous driving. Yeah, it's really interesting, right, Chris, because usually... You would expect traditionally, you would expect companies like this to really be bolstering their staff. But what Uber's 
method of looking at it is their number one risk today is the employees from uh, theft to rape cases to all of those issues are all around the employee and the drivers and also the the pressures that the drivers don't get paid as much so for them the way they see is instead of improving those conditions which they're trying to do in in their own way um let's invest in basically taking the human out of the equation like you said chris so really interesting approach uh, i mean you can be really pro this view or really against this view right taking the humanity away and taking people's jobs away but uh, it really comes down to uh, your uh, thoughts on it yeah exactly and, and we're trying to be neutral here and just look at what the company is doing um, i just find it so interesting because they are still in a kind of startup type size so they're still going for growth every single year of more than 30 percent but at the meantime, they're investing in something that's so futuristic, like research and development, essentially, um, that is co costing them so much of their propor uh, proportion of revenue. Um, yeah, it's just smart, maybe, or if it fails, stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of proofs in the pudding. Like it comes to what happens, right? In the end, I mean, the R and D that you mentioned, Chris, it's. Uh, in 2019 was like four and a half billion dollars right um and about three and a half billion in 2020 so uh, it's significant amount of investment going in like you mentioned so right then also uber actually has a number of very small branches of their business that they're trying to grow out to be like this whole mobility company uh one is uber for business so apparently they do like food delivery for business and then also uber business mobility i'm not sure how that actually uh, plays out in the real world or if they're making significant revenues but it is listed uh uber health so that's just transporting significant medication and other things then we have uber transit and uber freight so they acquired RouteMatch in 2020 and Uber Transit is kind of uh, a public transport type infrastructure that they're trying to set up. Uber Freight is then the, the uh, lorries that would really transport freight um, from one destination to the other. And I think that's also using the Uber app. So uh, in theory, I think that's how they vision it. Uh, a company could just hail uh, a lorry <laughs> that picks up some of the items and then transports that straight to uh, the destination and gives them, I guess, uh, a price of X because depending on the length and uh, the Uber app just tracks that in the background. So um, really smart. Again, using that infrastructure that they already have for some of these other ventures. Uh, so let's go into some um, pros and cons then, Chris. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, to me, I think the, the main positive is um, they've built up a little moat. And uh, if you don't know what a moat is by now, you know, you might want to turn off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, check out our learning segment from a couple of weeks ago where Chris uh, describes uh, and explains, sorry, what the moat is. <laughs> no, but they have this immense protection from competition, I think, just purely by one, their brand power, their sheer size and market share and that network effect. And by that, I mean the amount of taxis you have online, uh, the amount of restaurants signed up to Uber Eats. Uh, another company can't just stand that up and get all these drivers to immediately sign up. It would take, you know, 
some significant effort to stand up that existing network that Uber already has in more than 10,000 cities, as we've heard. Yeah, interesting, Chris. Uh, I, I would actually, um, it would be one of my negatives, in fact, um, in the sense that I feel like oh, yeah? uh, whilst that is a barrier to entry in the first place, um, it provides a, a cracking opportunity and there's no brand loyalty, right? Like, I don't really care. Uber does nothing special that another company can't do. Uh, like in, in London, I would have three or four different ride-hailing cabs now, uh, uh, services. You're right in the sense that Uber's most likely the one I would use, right? But if that infrastructure and that base, the customer base you're talking about, improved or had slightly better rates offered from different uh, companies, I, I would have no problem switching because Uber themselves aren't providing the service, right? It's the random human in, in between, uh, which they have no control over. So, uh, so I, I agree. I agree with that. I agree with their market uh, element. I agree that the the variety, say, in the delivery side, is so big right now that only Deliveroo even compares. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 for me not a strength. The strength. Uh, for me lies elsewhere put it this way i i agree uh, maybe it would then be a competitor would have to use significant resources they would have to use significant promotions uh give the drivers more pay so i think yeah there could be competition but it would require a lot of money to take some of that market share maybe that's the point yeah it makes sense yeah, that i'm uh, trying to make <laughs> <laughs> no that's fair uh, my my sort of main positive, I guess, is because um, of that dominant market presence, it allows them the opportunity to be the first when something big happens in the future, right? We're, like if you believe there's still going to be a lot of disruption in the taxi space and travel in all of those things, well, the f the company that's first going to be first to it will probably be Uber because they're got that market presence, that brand, the the cash, uh, e even through debt, right? They can clearly invest and carry on through their losses. So, I, I feel like that's probably the biggest strength is that if you believe there is disruption, and I feel like there's just bound to be more disruption in that travel space and ride hailing, even the delivery side. Well, in that sense. Uber will probably be the first to that. Yeah, and I think my positive adds to yours. I agree. Number one, they've been super innovative. And number two, how they've shown in the past how much capital they can raise. And again, it's that SoftBank presence behind them that if they told SoftBank, by the way, we're going into packaging, packages delivery, we need five billion, they'll probably get it, right? Um, so just that sheer size and ability to raise capital in the past, um, that's just huge, right? Offers, discounts, you see it left, right and center, Uber is just dominating it. Um, it's tough for like Lyft and other companies that are out there to really compete. Deliveroo can't even put up half of the offers that Uber Eats puts up. Yeah, and from the marketing side as well, right, Chris? Like, think about the number of emails that you would have had from Uber Eats on discounts. Oh. And uh, it's like a weekly thing, right? <laughs> if not a daily thing. So, yeah. exactly. Uh, I mean, if, if anyone listening, I know Chris mentioned SoftBank, and we'll probably we will do a, probably a learning segment on SoftBank or something like that, just to give you an idea. On, uh, what the company does but if you believe that that process 
of how that operates. And that's the real strength where you can invest in SoftBank itself. Yeah, you could just invest in SoftBank itself. The share price of SoftBank's around quadrupled in the last five years. So um, clearly doing decently well, but there's obviously a lot of controversy behind it and so on. So we'll probably cover it in a different segment, but I just thought I'd mention that if you wanted to, you thought that was a great idea and a business model, well, you could invest in SoftBank directly. I'll, I'll round up on the negatives into one. Uh, number one, the growth is drastically slowing right now. Uh, Uber has just pushed so much money in there that I think the growth rates in 2018 were 42%, then 2019 number of rides only grew by 30%, and it will just continue, continue slowing now because I think they have got the low-hanging fruit and now getting some of the higher-ups will take significantly more investment. And number two, their long-term plan, these robo-taxis, self-driving cars, I think that's still a good five to ten years away at least. So to me, they're not going to make huge margins until that time. So I, I don't like their long term vision is great, but it doesn't do anything for you now if you're a shareholder. Yeah. And I guess with that, let's go into our sort of final thoughts into whether we would invest right now or not, Chris. Uh, my, my view, I think Uber itself will probably do OK. I feel like the share price actually probably will do OK as well in the next few years. Um, but for me, overall valuation is fairly negative the numbers aren't that promising i feel like uh also the overall vision may have a the competitive landscape is pretty intriguing um and more than anything else the reason i would not invest in uber the primary reason i would not invest in uber is we all have like a finite limit on cash right and if i have a thousand pounds to invest I've got five different opportunities to invest. Would I? Would Uber be top of that list out of all my list? And the answer is just no. It, it's just it, they've got so many other companies I see having bigger potential, which is a lot safer as well. So uh, in my eyes, Uber is just not an investment to my portfolio. Again, do your own research. Obviously, uh, disclaimers always, this isn't... Uh, uh, investment advice it's, it's just opinion of two people online but um yeah well it, placed. <laughs> it, it's not something for me purely because I, I feel like there's so many better opportunities for investment uh, what, what are your final thoughts chris um so whatever golf said uh, 100% agree <laughs> we just call it that thank I, I you very add, much <laughs> <laughs> the, the only thing i guess i would add is um how they've been treating people and their business model is on exploiting people and paying them very low uh, money it's kind of a similar thing that amazon's doing in their warehouses in terms and and i think long term uh, us consumers have the power to vote with who we pay so if there's a ride hailing app that looks after the people pays them well and pays them holidays then why not pay a pound more to use that one um, so i think long term they'll struggle continuing with uh, the way they're treating their people. Hey, that's a phenomenal point, Chris. I, I feel like it's something that we've glossed over a little bit. If you have another company that comes out saying we're from the drivers or we're for the drivers, something along those lines, and it's a little bit more expensive and you pay them so that they can pay their employees better or whatever, and it becomes ethical uh, and you get over the ethical bridge, I feel like suddenly uh, the moat that you were talking about earlier it just crumbles a bit. <laughs> Um, so I think it's a fabulous point. Uh, well, 
that's it for today, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, we've got a couple interesting segments planned uh, as well, so make sure you're subscribed uh, and share the episode with your friends. I'm sure all of us have a friend that's got the worst Uber rating in the world, so give it to them. Uh, make them feel happy about themselves. And uh, <laughs> hit us up at Investing404. Really, uh, Chris and I really love the messages that come through on there or on our Facebook uh, page. So look forward to hearing about more. 